0: Why do so many Vietnam veterans refuse to turn their back on a country who turned its back on them?
1: You know, that's an interesting question. Uh, When You know, the American Legion we returned to, we returned to the Veterans of Foreign Wars, and those veteran organizations turned us away. And so uh, Vietnam Veterans of America was formed, and the motto for that, sadly enough, was never again will one generation of veterans abandon another. So we started advocating for Vietnam veterans. Took 30 years to get Agent Orange finally uh, solidified. But uh, we couldn't see that happen to the Iraqi and Afghanistan war veterans. And so we welcomed them home. And that became our call sign, you know, welcome home to those veterans. So we weren't about to turn our back on, on any veterans. We lived our credo. And we didn't want to see that happen to anyone else.
0: A great day to flex your freedom. I'm your host Barb Allen. Today I am here in our studio. I love getting to do a live interview with somebody when we get to be face to face, but it, it can be hard to arrange. So I especially pounce on the opportunity when that happens. So today here with us live is our good friend William Monsoon Mimiaga. Maybe you've heard me reference him before. If you know me personally, you certainly know who Monsoon is. Uh, we have posted some super fun videos since he's been here for a week or two now. We've had a good time. We met Monsoon many years ago, my boys and I, uh, when we went to this organization, this event run by an organization called Snowball Express. You've undoubtedly heard me talk about that before. I've put it in two of my books. Uh, Anyway, it is a really, really special organization that does some incredible stuff for the fallen, for the children of fallen service members and their parent, surviving parent or guardian. And so that is where I met Monsoon, because like so many Vietnam veterans, he has come back to continue to serve in a different capacity. Of all the people that serve the families of the fallen, the Vietnam veterans are the ones that show up time and time again. So I always also talk about Vietnam veterans and my great affection and respect for them. And Monsoon is one of those reasons why. He is a Marine Corps veteran. He served in the Gulf War and the Vietnam War. He has been awarded the prestigious title of California's Teacher of the Year, not once, but two times. So he is all around awesome. And he's also got hefty doses of sarcasm and obnoxiousness, shall we say, that endear him to me a little more. So we can go to toe-to-toe. Not many people can go toe-to-toe with me, <laughs> but not many people go toe-to-toe with this person either. So it takes, it takes one to manage him. He needs some certain amount of wrangling. So come help me wrangle my good friend Monsoon today. We're going to talk about Service, sacrifice, freedom, and all things snarky. Winston, thank you for being here today.
1: Well, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm happy to be here. And in fact, I've had uh, 10, 12 days of a wonderful vacation. I got to see the fire team, uh, hang out with Dave, fishing, uh, just uh, hanging out at cemeteries, you know, and it <laughs> just, cemetery, it's just been is. a great time.
0: Why? All right, so let's get into that right there. What is it about, I, if you ever have the opportunity To be cruising down the road with this man, you will need to plan an extra 45 minutes for every cemetery you pass on your route. Or you will need to floor it or point out a puppy or something in the opposite direction so he doesn't see the cemetery. Because he will have you pulling into the cemetery and walking among those. And, you know, I think first I thought it was just this cruel thing he likes to do to widows, but he likes to do it to everybody. Um, So what is... What's the, what's the cemetery?
1: Cemeteries are like going to a museum. Instead of seeing the coats and the armor and the weapons and, the, and uh, all that nonsense, here you go to a cemetery, you're walking on the hallowed grounds. You're, uh, you're reading the tombstones. You're reading the names from the Revolutionary War, War of 1812, you know, Spanish-American War. You're reading about those heroes that are buried there, that served and sacrificed. It's better than a museum. You, you feel this connection. Unlike, uh, unlike uh, Pelosi, you know, digging a hole and feeling the connection with China, you know. <laughs> Here, you're uh, basically you're walking around those remembering, acknowledging, recognizing those that served in sacrifice. And it, it's just a history that's in a cemetery. You know, uh, a widow that lost uh, her two kids, then she lost her husband, then soon after she lost her other two kids. And then she died six years later. I mean, just the stories that they tell that you find in these cemeteries, and the, going throughout this state, in the great state of of um, con, uh, Connecticut, my gosh, I'd never been to Connecticut. Went to Connecticut. We passed a few cemeteries, but unfortunately, uh, Barbara Ellen floored the car, it distracted me, and zoomed by them. But visit these cemeteries. A lot of them are just homegrown plots, but. uh the vintage, the age, the history. I mean, this one whole patch, just one sign out there saying, these are all for uh, those buried here that are unknown. Imagine that, it was like a half acre. Just people buried under those grounds. And I just find that uh, interesting.
0: It is, and I'm gonna say, I will hand that to you. Obviously, I had some cemetery issues for a long time. Took me a long time to be able to walk through them. Uh, but going there and doing that with you, and seeing the tombstones from the Revolutionary War, the War of eighteen twelve, the Civil War, it is just—it uh, is just a great reminder, even for those of us who are who do carry the weight of our freedom in some way. I never served, but I lost my husband in service. You have served and sacrificed. You've lost a lot of people you love in service, uh, and your service cost you a lot as well. Um, so, but even we sometimes need to kind of put things in perspective a little bit and remind ourselves so yeah i would recommend that so crusty i call him crusty so just bear with me it's crusty marine <laughs>
1: and i call her lenny
0: because that doesn't make sense but
1: uh, Lenny does make sense because <laughs> he's a big horse
0: <laughs> um so Brought
1: at the shoulders
0: you were 17 when you signed on that dotted line for the united states marine corps
1: i was 17 years old i just uh My recruiter called me in. I sat down and he said, "Um, what would you like to do? And I said, I'd like to be a pilot. And so he says, not a problem. Just sign right here. and We're going to make you a pilot, a jet jockey, top gun. I learned when I stood on those yellow footprints that he lied.
0: Do you know what? I have interviewed a lot of veterans and you are... I was surprised at first to hear this. So many people said, oh, you know, I went to join the, I really wanted to join the army, but that recruiter was out to lunch. So I wound up joining the Navy or I wanted to join the Navy. But then that recruiter told me I couldn't do it for whatever reason. And I wound up, you know, joining the Air Force or whatever. Like so many people have these just random reasons for joining the branch that that they, for choosing the branch that they chose or sometimes the branch chose them. So I, those stories are always fun to hear. So look, you served in the Vietnam War, um, and Dave and I put out a video a year or two ago when the assault on our law enforcement officers was really just starting to show itself. Right, it was really just starting to emerge, and we thought, what greater person to mentor the law enforcement officers who are being turned against and spat on and ambushed and killed the Vietnam veterans. Did you, when you returned home from Vietnam War, what was your, how old were you? How old were you when you were in Vietnam first off?
1: My first tour, I was 18 years old. I came home, told my dad it'll be over in six months. And then 1969, four years later, I have orders back again. So that was kind of surreal. And it didn't, didn't end for quite a while. But speaking of law enforcement, it's shameful. You know, right now, uh, Portland needs 400 law enforcement. Chicago, 800. Uh, New York City, 600. Nobody wants to be in law enforcement. It it used to be a prestige thing. They used to be proud of serving in blue. And now uh, this entire uh, far left has just uh, degraded our police where they show a tremendous lack of respect. They're ambushed. They're mistreated, they're, uh, they're the criminals, not the people they arrest, because the people they arrest are turned loose by these proactive, progressive uh, attorneys, uh, attorney generals, they just let them free. So it's a meaningless task. Why arrest someone only to have them on the streets within 24 hours? It's shameful.
0: How many tours did you do in Vietnam? Two. You did two, so how old, and then did, did a lot of people you know Was it common for people to get out of the military if they made it back from Vietnam?
1: Well, after their first tour, so many got out, and you know, basically, it was a lot of the Korean War veterans. We had we had some World War II veterans, Korean War veterans, and they got out, and they were soon followed by a lot of the senior staff and COs that wanted no part of it, especially having to go back. Bart Gabriel, my good friend, who's now passed away of Agent Orange, we served together in '65. When I was going back for my second tour, he was coming back from his third. You know, it's just unbelievable. Those that in fact did that serve, uh, three tours and many, many did. Many volunteered to stay on, much like Bart did. You know, he felt that, uh, as I feel, as a lot of veterans uh, feel, you know, it was, uh, it was a noble war, what we were doing. You know, whether it's fighting communists, whether it was, you know, fighting, uh, socialism, whether fascism, whatever the case might be, we saw the people that we were fighting for, you know, the Vietnamese people. It was a rice, you know, they were growing rice. They were just trying to live out a, a meager living, you know, just like our farmers did back in the during the Depression. They were just out there working hard, wanting to be left alone. And uh, this, those are the ones that uh, we were looking out for.
0: So what is the... Can you draw a comparison and point point that mug toward the microphone so we make sure to pick you up? All these profound words you're speaking, point them towards the microphone, please, Hmm. sir. I apologize. Um, You should apologize profusely. Um, So, is there a comparison to be drawn between the Vietnam and Gulf wars? I haven't had an opportunity to ask anybody that, you know, who served in both wars. So, is there, yeah, is there a comparison to be drawn? Like, can you compare your experiences in one war to another?
1: You know what? There's comparisons across the board. If you look at Agent Orange, it took 30 years to acknowledge Agent Orange. They recognized it, but it took 30 years for the VA to finally acknowledge it. And little by little, the presumptions for whatever disease, whether it be Agent Orange, whether it be liver cancer, uh, breast cancer, whatever the case might be, it, it took year. Well, three decades and so many thousands died from it, never receiving the right compensation, the right medical uh, diagnosis, the proper medical treatment. And so to say for the Gulf War, you know, they call it the Gulf War syndrome or what we have now in Afghanistan and Iraq, the burn pits. And once again, the years, they recognize it finally, but they're how long many more years before they finally acknowledge that, yes, it has caused so many cancers. So from the Gulf War syndrome to uh, to the burn pits, yeah, that's a comparison right there. That they prolong it. You know, they send the veteran off to war, but when he comes home, let's not take care of him. Not really. You know, we say we do. and There's a lot of lip service up in uh, in the Congress and the Senate. You know, but it's not really taken care of. And some of those that you depended upon to take care of you, whether it be. Uh, 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 they don't. They're just not there. So the VA has become an adversary, not an ally to the veteran.
0: Yeah, I spent three years as a veteran services officer helping veterans file claims and deal with the aftermath of their service. And the saying that I was immediately taught when I first started training was delay, deny, hope they die. Yeah. That was it. That was it. Would you-
1: totally agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Totally agree. And here's the devastation. And not only does a veteran suffer and he's died, but he leaves back a family. He leaves back a wife, three, four young kids. And that, Gee, what's that, that like? Yeah, that's. Yeah, well, I, You were left with four boys, but they were a fire team, you know? I'm not one that advocates any any service, you know, because all, I'm proud of all our services. And so I try to stay neutral and not really uh, show whatever service that I served, you know? I'm right, you
0: never know. You just no, really laid back. I'm low key that. about never, the
1: services.
0: But,
1: you know. No one ever guessed that you're a Marine. Oh, no. And they, well, they would guess because I, I'm very articulate and I know how to spell. You know, <laughs> everyone wished they could be a Marine, but you were left with a fire team, fire team, Marine Corps, four troops. And that's what Barbara Allen had, four troops and from little, and now they're tall oak trees and they're all doing so well. So it's, it's a blessing to to, to say, but to be part of that with Snowball Express, just wrap your arms around those families and see those kids, you know, just hitting it off, having a good time once a year at Christmas. And now with um, the Gary Sinise foundation. uh, And so we know it'll continue on from 2006 to to today. So
0: for those of you who don't know what snowball express was, um, I, I do try to focus a lot of my content or my talks on, on the people that step forward to help and the people that support and serve. Right. So snowball express in two, like a year after, I, I spent one Christmas, I lost my husband, we went through one Christmas, and then the second Christmas, I was contacted, r- the widows started talking, hey, there's some guy out there calling to see if families of the fallen want to go to Disneyland in which one is in California, Disney Disneyland Land, Disney, or world yeah, Di- no, Disneyland, Disneyland in California and get together and meet each other and all this. And we were a little suspicious of, of all of it, but we figured, well, what the hell, we'll get on a plane and we'll go and we'll see. And it turned out to be such a heartfelt, powerful, emotional experience where this organization at no charge flies families, uh, flies the children and their surviving parent or guardian out to one location for three years. It was in in California. And then it moved to Texas and now our Gary Foundation has taken over Snowball Express and it is in Orlando every year. But we got to get together at one of the hardest times of years for us and celebrate and just see people holding up signs saying your dad is a hero to your children that means so much. And so it's just a it's more than a three day experience. We got to meet family, uh, friends who've become family. That's where I met Monsoon and Monsoon has been a huge mentor to my kids and me in ways uh, over the years. So, and Vietnam veterans are, are a big part of that driving force of organizations like that. Why do you think Vietnam veterans continue? V- Vietnam veterans could have come home and to a country that turned its back on you all. And you all could have said, book this, you know, I'm out of here, you guys are on your own, right? Mm-hmm. So why don't you guys, so why, why do so many Vietnam veterans refuse to turn their back on a country who turned its back on them?
1: You know, that's an interesting question. When You know, the American Legion we returned to, we returned to the veterans of foreign wars, and those veteran organizations turned us away. And so uh, Vietnam Veterans of America was formed, and the motto for that, sadly enough, was never again will one generation of veterans abandon another. So we started advocating for Vietnam veterans. It took 30 years to get Agent Orange finally uh, solidified. But uh, we couldn't see that happen to the Iraqi and Afghanistan war veterans. And so we welcomed them home. And that became a call sign, you know, welcome home to those veterans. So we weren't about to turn our back on, on any veterans. We lived our credo. And we didn't want to see that happen to anyone else. And so it, Vietnam veterans hid themselves in the closet. They just didn't come out. They didn't acknowledge that they were veterans from Vietnam. because it was, it was a bad time, you know, with the protesters, and, and even uh, Giap said, uh, in North Vietnam, he said, hey, you know, leave it up to the protesters. They'll end this war for us, and they did. You know, it was a noble cause. I left both tours when we were winning, but unfortunately, after Tet, you know, everything turned south, and uh, the politicians lost this war, not us. So basically, we betrayed uh, Vietnam, South Vietnam. Is that a comparison between that
0: and Afghanistan? I, I, and I'm asking this genuinely because it's really easy. It's so easy to look at the headlines and see the video footage of people clinging to planes and know all the equipment we left behind. So my emotional reaction and my anger, <clears throat> I, I lean towards thinking that we betrayed the Afghanistan people in some, in some sense. Um, but I don't. I am going to admit I don't fully understand the nuances or mechanics or political implications of it all right but as a humanitarian side i just look and see the people left behind and the way in which it was done and the fact that the taliban have now resumed complete control of that country and it breaks my heart um but is that misguided is that no, is that an over exaggeration of things
1: you know we play uh, we become the world's policemen. And unfortunately, uh, by becoming the world's policemen, we want to carry that uh, force of democracy to wherever we go. And it doesn't work. Afghanistan is a tribal nation. I mean, all those provinces are run by tribal warlords. And it's much like the Native American Indian, you know, when the Calvary come, came in, you know, they're taking away their sacred lands, their hollow grit lands, the lands that the Buffalo roam free. The Native Americans gathered together, even though they fought each other over land, over uh, over horses, over buffalo. They came together and they fought Custer and, and destroyed him. So much like that, the tribal warlords all came together and say, hey, we're not going to allow the British to be here any longer. We're not going to allow the Russians to stay here any longer. We're not going to allow the Americans to stay here any longer. And so we went to war fighting tribal warlords. We fought the Taliban. The Taliban was our enemy. And then we just closed up shop. We just left. And our enemy, now uh, they've become what? Our ally? The Taliban? It it doesn't make any sense. The irony of it all, it it just, it's much like, you know, the uh, trying to understand the Democratic Party. It's not the party our parents grew up with. It's... uh, Uh, mean spiteful hateful party that just wants to uh are we gonna edit this out
0: i don't know see
1: (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry i don't mean to get in the political part of this but it is political because we left there with people hanging on airplanes trying to get out much like you know in the fall of saigon in may of 75 people hanging on the airplanes crashing helicopters on on carrier decks, you know, just trying to free the country. The thousands that died, the boat people, and much—that's how we left Afghanistan. And it's—we didn't leave it with any kind of an infrastructure, other than you know, you know, forty billion dollars worth of our equipment.
0: Maddening, mad. So my husband was killed in Iraq, not Afghanistan, and I already. And the fact that he was murdered by another, so, you know, so it's compounded, but it's hard when you hard enough, when you lose someone you love and then harder still, when you feel like their sacrifice means nothing or or was rendered meaningless in some, and, you know, you help the people that you help in the time that you help them. Right. But the, the long-term goal, the long-term reason you were there is just taken away. Right. It doesn't matter, you know, so maybe you helped people for X amount of years, but you were just delaying the inevitable. You didn't prevent it. You know, you just delayed it. So I felt like that. I felt like my husband went for a lie with the weapons of mass destruction. You know, in Iraq, and then then you have the people in Afghanistan. You have the Vietnam veterans who, you know, saw that country they gave so much for and lost so much for turned right back over to the people they went there to stop. What do you think is the point? What what is the incentive for somebody to join the military today? What are you in touch with? active duty troops do you, are you in the community do you know uh, or do you speak to people who are considering joining like what if i was th- if i said to you monsoon my kids are would like to join the military in any of the branches what would your advice to them be
1: you know we have an all volunteer force now less than 1% of the uh, people serve and you know in my years of teaching you know, in the middle schools, uh, I've learned this. These kids, when we had the draft, everybody served a minimum of two years, much like the IDF in Israel. You served two years. And if you didn't want to go into the service, you had some objection to carrying a rifle or something, go in the Peace Corps for two years. If you didn't want to do that, uh, go in the Peace Corps, then go volunteer at a hospital for two years. But you did some type of service. The all-volunteer force was good because it brought in people that were patriotic, people that wanted to serve. But at the same time, it took away that patriotism that the rest of the country would feel, that patriotism where... uh, where kids would know, hey, we're proud that their dad served in the military or that he served in the Peace Corps, or we're proud that their cousin, their uncle, these kids have, the students of mine had no, they didn't know a veteran. They didn't know anybody that served because of this, you know, the draft. uh, We ended the draft and went to the all-volunteer force. And so this generation after generation of kids didn't grow up with any form of patriotism, discipline, self-discipline, motivation, paying it forward, helping someone else. That's why when I listen to your podcast, I see these individuals that you interview that have organizations, whether it's for horse therapy, whether it's getting a refrigerator, whether it's transition up the wire, whether it's getting them homes. These are the actual people, just few in number, but the actual people that are walking the talk, they're actually doing something. And so all these, uh, folks that you have on your podcast, that's awesome. They are doing something, not giving, and they're doing more than what our government's doing. That's for darn sure. So those are the ones that I have the great respect and admiration for. Many of them served because they understand what it's like for those that, uh, what the need is. But there are many that haven't served, but they still want to do something and they are doing it. Uh, I just, the feel that the draft should come back. You that, feel
0: the draft should come back? Uh, I did not know this about you.
1: Oh, yes. I, I mean, that way everybody, they don't have to serve in the military. They could serve in the Peace Corps or, so or in think, the Job Corps. This is interesting. They could serve in I feel something. Like
0: if I got notified or my kids got notified, hey, you're 18. Now the United States government has declared that you must do one of these things for the next two years.
1: No, only, only. I
0: see, I see the value, but who is the government to say? Yeah,
1: but stop. It's shit hot to feel like you belong to something. And when you're 18 years old, I mean, you're going to get your education paid for. You're going to serve two years on something that you choose. They're not saying you have to choose this, that. Choose something that's going to benefit society as a whole.
0: But who, who determines what? You determine it.
1: You say, okay, this is the program I like to go into. It is a draft in some ways, okay. But bring back something. But you
0: don't think so. You're not saying you think the government. We should resume the government saying, sending out this letter no. saying, "Hey, you're 18 for the next two years. You must do one of these things." That's no, not what you're saying.
1: That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if if you receive a notice, okay, not everybody does, but it, you know, you register for the draft. You register to pay it forward, doing something of your choice. Unlike before go to the military job corps go into the peace corps whatever no you choose something that's going to benefit someone in, else instead being of being a volunteer instead
0: of going to the workforce or instead of college
1: yeah go be a candy striper for god's sakes i mean you're doing something but for someone else instead,
0: oh, well because um, this is an interesting point are you say, <laughs> are you saying instead of college instead of getting a job instead of starting no. a business no you're in go, addition to
1: no in addition to, it, you can go to college because what do you get from college? You get deferments, you okay? Get yeah, no, you don't get that. You, you get radicalized. No, you. Well, that's true. <laughs> yeah. The left wing, you know, it's all professors are so far left wing, you okay. know. Yes, you get deferments at college, so you're going to do something that's going to be beneficial for someone else.
0: Okay, I hear you, and I agree with you. I'm just trying to figure this out. But are you saying you should do that because the government tells you to and makes you do it?
1: You have to have a force to drive you, otherwise, you're gonna sit there and play Xbox all day long till you're 36 years. old. So the
0: government should say, hey, for the next two years, you must verify that you've done some level of service and it has to meet our criteria.
1: Doesn't this yes?
0: Wild. Oh, this is gonna bring (laughs) out a lot. What do you think, you guys, listening to this? Like, what do you it is an interesting topic because (laughs) I agree with you in principle, I agree with you in concept that. Yes, we should all go out and serve in some capacity. What is the slippery slope, especially with these mother in the uh, office now? Um like who's to say what that service should be, right? Who's to say? Like who gets to decide what that service should be? And that's the
1: Okay, look, AOC. I but made, no, a, you did not. <laughs> look, you know what? You are you're leaning and, and let's keep this. Let's Gosh!
0: Yeah, because see, I just questioned you. I just wanted to know more information, but you just no, started off some good, like naive. Oh, this would be wonderful if everybody served, but you didn't really think that shit through. But you were just like, no, let's. I think everybody should serve. But then stop. But.
1: We had we had sixteen million when the Japanese okay. bombed Pearl Harbor. We had sixteen million men in uniform. We had Rosie the Riveter. The women flooded the workforce. You know. Yeah. We brought in the Bracero program and worked the fields free a man to fight. 16 million became patriots, and they went away for five years fighting World War II. And today is August 14th, the day the Japanese surrendered. So, so, you know, we should be grateful for that. That's this date, 1945. And if you go to my Facebook, you could see uh, Harry Truman announcing it. Now, having said that, 16 million served 400,000 served in sacrifice so if you think about that those were proud patriotic americans and so yes they were they enlisted initially but then in 43 we were shortage of manpower so they started the draft started bringing them in but they didn't hesitate they went they served
0: i hear you and i just say it is a it is a Really tricky area because on the one hand you agree that yes we need to step forward and serve and now our country is so freaking muddled like what should the so should Americans get drafted while we have illegals pouring over our border and getting free phones and buses everywhere so so, so imagine this if the, if if we go to war now and Americans are all drafted so Americans are all fighting the war who's left here it's the freaking illegals to take over our, our country like what would happen haven't we created such a disaster in this country it's we, crazy you're what absolutely happening? right
1: we are a nation of laws
0: well we used, used to be.
1: be used to be a nation of laws and when uh you know when you have uh, police officers that are dying then i say you know that are being ambushed and nothing being done about it i'm all for Judge Roy Bean, I'm all for frontier justice. Let's go back to those days when justice was applied, you know, equally uh, across the board. Not in the past days, but today it should be equally passed. But it's not. It's ignored. And so you're right. It's We're we're a game of, uh, we're a a muddled society right now.
0: How do we get it back?
1: We get it back by bringing... uh, by bringing President Trump back with DeSantis as his vice president. And, uh, God, that would be a ticket right there. Wow. We take back over the House, and we get rid of Pelosi, Schumer. We get rid of uh, Adam Schiff. We get rid of uh, the AOC. We get rid of the squad. Which, we, by, by get, the way,
0: if you ever call me AOC again, yeah, we, you're going to die in your sleep. Yeah, we, get, and we, that's get, fine.
1: <laughs> we get rid of the people that are the swamp. And if anybody, and I'm not saying this, you know, the Democratic Party was a good party at one time, maybe. But today it's not. And so many people are blinded. Oh, I'm so happy to be paying $5.69 for a gallon of gas now. In fact, uh, you know, they lowered it eight cents when two years ago you were paying $2 for it. So it's doubled. And you're happy? Come on. Food prices gone up. Lumber, literally. How's construction happening? The housing market is just off the wall and so how are we surviving today
0: what um, do you think is being done you're a california teacher year twice um what do you, so wh- talk about the kind of school you taught in cuz this is this plays into what you were just talking about um what was what was the school you taught Was it like a prestigious school you taught at was it a private school was it a public talk about the school
1: you know, the schools I, t- I taught in hawaii and i taught in uh, in california and they, the schools I taught at, you know, they gave, they offered me a stipend. Hey, monsoon, you want to go teach? Uh, you want five thousand dollars? I said, Yeah, shit, hot. I'll take your five thousand. And they said, You have to teach in a, in a predominantly um, in a predominantly gang-infested area. It's in a school that's uh, doesn't have a great reputation. It's an inner-city school. I said, Okay. You have to teach for five years. We're giving you a $1,000 bonus for teaching five years. I said, I'll take it. So I taught special education. I taught emotionally disturbed kids, you know, a couple years behind in education. But they weren't emotionally disturbed. They were just gangbangers. They were foster kids. They were kids that, you know, a parent was in prison for drugs or mom OD'd on drugs. Mom was selling drugs, got arrested. You know, aunts or uncles were raising them. They live in housing. Where at night, you know, the gunfire, knife fights, and all this went on. They just needed some direction. I was asked by one superintendent, what's the worst thing you have to do with these kids? And I says, send them back home after the day's over. Oh, well. They found refuge at school. And grudgingly over time, they realized that you cared for them. And so that's, uh, and so they listened. And a lot of them found success.
0: So in the time that you were teaching, what are the years that you're, what years did you're teaching?
1: I, yeah, I taught for 23 years, so it was 1998 to, uh, well, I was in Hawaii, too, so in 97, 96, and then I just retired a year ago.
0: Okay, so you you still have a current pulse. Like, you have your thumb on the pulse still a little, you know, where you can still speak about, because I know a lot of parents are pushing back against the school district
1: parents, curriculum. Parents are not domestic terrorists, Okay. Let's get that down there, Attorney General. They're not domestic terrorists. There are parents concerned about their kids reading about their sexual exploits when they're in first grade of, uh, you know, masturbation and all this other crap when they're in first grade. Give me a break. What happened to the, you know, the reading, arithmetic, and writing? What happened to those days? We got through it okay. We're, we're educated. We're our just education, with, uh, I think our hours. education
0: system was already packed with enough meaningless garbage in the first place
1: like absolutely
0: who care like we just learned so much unnecessary stuff in school in the first place and now they're packing it with with just dangerous stuff but is that is that true did you see that in your school district Um, did your school district push any kind of agenda that would that some parents would call radical you know in terms of crt or the sexuality of
1: You know, the the CRT, you know, we taught, you know, here's the bit uh, in in school. We did away with geography. We did away with American studies, history.
0: Totally? You you taught no geography?
1: Pretty much. Oh, geography's gone. We did away with the metal shop, the carpenter shop, the wood shop, the automotive shop. All these are gone, and they brought in dance. What? Dance. Give these kids something to get their hands dirty. Teach them in the metal shop how to weld. Teach them how to fix a car. Whatever, all those are gone. And they bring in all these progressive things like dance and art. Not that I'm against dancing and art. I did a lot of jitterbugging in my time. Dancing, two-step, line dancing, the best. But they bring in dancing and the art. It, it didn't make any sense. I would rather have a carpenter shop in a wood shop.
0: Okay, but that's not that's not dangerous. Like that's not. Okay. I can see where parents say, "Oh, you know, I'd rather have welding or whatever than than dance class for my kid." But that's not doing any harm, right? That's not that's not indoctrinating it's deprived, your kids. It's, that's no, not
1: the indoctrination part. is the worst part. We had Common Core come in across the board. Common Core came in for uh, for uh, for math. Hey, I learned math. Two plus two is is four, not two plus two minus eight uh, subtracted by three hundred and twenty yeah. times sixteen and stuff. And and how many cows jumped over the moon? I mean, <laughs> I just like two plus two was four. That was easy. Why are we teaching this this new form of math? Oh, so they become more aware of of the mathematical studies and i learned learn math. I mean, they could learn math the simple way. And then you move on, progressively move on. Why bring in this common core? And then with literature, my God, what a great storyteller. What a great story that he just told about, you know, about Marietta Littleham and the, the wolf and the big bad wolf and stuff. Not about the stories pushed aside. Now it's about what was the intent of the author? What, what does that mean? Well, he told the story about the wolf. He huffed and puffed and blew the house down. All
0: right, but that's not indoctrinate. That's so. So it sounds like what you're saying is that there was no, there was not the indoctrination in your school. But the indoctrination I'm saying is because this is what par- my my children were are out of that school district school level years, right? So I didn't know exactly. All the in the time my kids were in school, it was more like subtle implications, right? It was like like subtle tweaks here and there being offered. So I didn't even realize the stuff that my kids were being taught to think and believe in some sense in the schools about, about our country and about how patriotism is not necessarily a good thing and, and all this stuff. Right. Um, And so you're, it sounds like you're saying, I'm not hearing you say that in your school district, anything, was taught about that. Like, y- your school district did not push that this country is a bad place, that socialism's good, that capitalism's bad, that patriotism's bad. You didn't see that in your school.
1: The teachers we had in There's our school. Because that's no. the difference between, right. like, why didn't author okay. say
0: that? Like, I, I hear you. All right, here. Grandpa.
1: I'll say this. Yeah. <laughs> we had teachers in my school, in, in all the schools in the school district I taught, that were very liberal that's in their teaching very little in their teaching, and the way they taught things it was uh, not the way that, that... We weren't revisiting history. We were revisiting revisionist history in their perspective and in their professor's perspective from whatever university they graduated. I taught history as it was real, even whether it went against uh, cultures or example the uh, buffalo soldiers big poster of buffalo soldiers charging down you know with their calvary hats back and the proud name of the buffalo soldiers as they're uh, riding down the range riding down the native american indians and my question was this why are they held in such adulation you know by the african-american teachers teaching about the buffalo soldiers i said here they were free men and they were slaves that were free now, come out west, find uh, 40 acres and a mule, and join the Calvary. They join the Calvary. So here was former slaves that were oppressed, now not oppressing Indians, but killing them. So how did that rationalize in their minds? So you know,
0: Why are they celebrated?
1: Yeah, why are they celebrated when they, in fact, were the indig- indigenous people were being killed off by these former slaves right. who lived under oppression. Now they're creating it. But they're not enslaving the Indians to work, you know, for a profit. They're killing them. So I find those things. So it's not, it's it's an interpretation of history from the left side to the right side. So this indoctrination of, you know, saying, look at the great contribution of the African-American society. And I'll give it to them, you know, like the Bracero program. When we sent men off to fight in World War II, we brought in the migrant workers to work the fields. My God, who was gonna do it? And they worked those fields hard. And a portion of their money was taken to be put in a bank and holding for them and sent to Mexico. So that way, after the war, they would go back and they'd have a little gold, they'd have a little savings. But what happened is Eisenhower came back, you know, and this is the, uh, this is the five-star general and he put them all on trains as the president and sent them all back to Mexico, gathered them all up, sent them back to Mexico, only to find out later that all that savings that they had put aside for them was gone. There was nothing there. The government took it, the corrupt government of Mexico. So here on one hand, we praise the, 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 the culture of Mexico and their are supporting us during the war. But in the end, after it's over, then we just send them back, you know, and it's just discarding those that helped us so much. So there's a lot of history that's not taught. Right. Not the right way. It should be taught.
0: Right. All right. So what do you think about things like movements to get rid of the pledge of allegiance in schools and the national anthem and, and, all of that, like to the movement away from celebrating our country and our patriotism towards towards sort of attacking it. Yeah, that's, and that's my viewpoint, right? So but I see I see a lot of parents out there and there's a lot of news stories and people posting on community pages and whatnot. And I'm following that and I'm listening to other parents in schools and I have friends and family who are teachers uh, and I listen to their conversations about What they're being mandated to do in school and what they're not allowed to do in school, and all that. And so, my impression is that, uh, and even hearing my kids talk about like why patriotism isn't my own kids, my kids who sort of like question like what's so important about patriotism. I'm like, ah, know, are you serious? Your your father Um, served his
1: sacrifice for patriotism. Yeah, but you
0: know, and they appreciate that Mm. and they respect that and they value that, but they have also been taught that. They have been taught things about patriotism that I disagree with.
1: That's because they've all right. gone to, the, to to college. Uh. Patriotism, and that's my point. I get right. back to my point. All these professors, all these folks that are, they're academians. these professors. They, they, and I give it to them. They studied. They got their doctorate. They've written their books. They wrote their books not for the people. They wrote their books for other historians. So all these professors... Uh, so far to the left, they've never served, they never were drafted, they never had to, to serve out two years in the Peace Corps, the Job Corps, the, the Marine Corps. They're academians and brilliant men, brilliant scholars for the perspective that they were taught in looking at America is not the greatest nation in the world, our flag does not represent everyone. I mean, they they find everything so critical. Then they want to tear down our statues. I would rather have go out there and see Robert E. Lee in a statue and being able to bring a group of kids up there and says, Robert E. Lee, you know, by all accounts, he was a Christian general, okay? That's the good side of him. But here's the bad side of him, whatever that case might be. To have that statue right there as a teaching tool, why tear it down and remove it? That is part of history. We cannot remake history. We can't hide the history. So leave those statues in place, good or bad, and come up to them and bring your students and say, this is what I see about Robert E. Lee. He was a Christian general, he was very religious, He freed his slaves after the war, you know? Many of them did. George Washington had slaves. After his second term, he freed his slaves. Thomas Jefferson freed his slaves. Uh, We missed that. They were just all slaveholders. Okay, tear this statue down. Now let's go blow up Mount Rushmore. All those assholes on Mount Rushmore, the presidents and Jefferson, Hamilton, all these people own slaves. Get rid of it. I mean, what do you wipe out our history for? What? For this small nucleus of left wing, progressive, communist, infiltrated, fascist. Okay. It's right. It's right away. <laughs> Tell just... us how you
0: really feel. No, I agree. I agree with you on on a lot of those points. And that's it. And that's why we, that's why we sort of tilted the tone of the show to call it, you know, flex your freedom, because freedom encompasses. So many that you and I have fought, we still continue to fight for freedom from our own internal struggles, right? Whether it's oh, you know, gosh, people that have a hold is, on yeah. us, our past that have a hold on us, you know, you're, you're carrying guilt, you're carrying obligation, a false sense of obligation, right? So freedom comes in all sorts of things, financial, emotional, spiritual, physical, mental.
1: Absolutely. Uh, and I, you know what? Firsthand, I could attest to that.
0: Yes, he can. This man is...
1: Yeah. I- <laughs> I am going to, I am going home to fight for I, I, my freedom. Okay. That's but all. That's,
0: that's all need, we don't, need okay. to, don't need to create problems for you here, Krusty. sir, okay. Um, on the show, but I appreciate that. So, uh, this is why I have long wanted to, to sit down with our friend Monsoon here and talk about that because we all, I, I understand and respect that people believe that they're trying to make this, that they're making this country better, that they're, that there are things we need to do better. There are things we're not good at. There are, injustices, there are inequities in this country. So maybe it's good intent, but it's being done in the wrong ways. And I think there's a lot of malicious intent that is manipulating the people with good intent to do bad things. Right. And so it's like this crazy circle we're in. And so I love to bring people on who, who have given so much for our freedom, because I see so many people taking it for granted. Just assuming that we're always going to have the luxury of sitting back and criticizing this amazing country. I think our country still is amazing, uh, even though we're in a little bit of trouble right now, right? Um, maybe we're the laughing stock of the world. Perhaps we will be the laughing stock of history at some point, um, based on, you know, the vagina hats and the plastic cartons over our faces and CD, like, like all this it, just sheer lunacy that we have seen here for the past few years, right? Um, but. I think, I think we can bring it back and I think we can learn from this and grow from this.
1: And, and, and it's I important
0: have, to talk to people. No, like and I
1: right? totally agree with you. And I just want to let you, those that are fearful right now and stuff, President Trump did not take nuclear secrets and the buttons home with him, you know, to, to shoot off missiles. I mean, he didn't do that. If people right?
0: believe that garbage, I think, I think we're just. In bigger trouble than I thought we were, right? Like who nobody says anyone's a saint, right? but to, but to see all this firepower aimed at this one person when all these other people are doing genuine criminal misdeeds, genuine treasonous things, just genuinely horrific things. and then you have this one person who sends out stupid tweets and shoots his mouth off, or maybe we'd be better at zipping it a little bit. Um, it, it just just lunacy. But before we end here, we need to mention this cane, walking stick, very important to you. This is a walking to a special
1: stick. I want to someone. give a shout out to Ruben Arcaleta. He's a Navy veteran, a Vietnam War veteran. He's also a retired police chief, but he goes to places in Colorado, Gallup, New Mexico. He finds these deer, uh, you know, the horns that have fallen off our deer, and made from this beautiful desert wood. And he makes these incredible walking canes, where as you walk with, I mean, I mean. Grandfather's spirit i mean uh, mother earth you, you feel it all there you feel that connection you don't have to start digging a hole in the sand to feel a connection with china that you're never going to reach <laughs> you have it right here this is real that other woman is not real okay you got to understand that and so you all know who i'm talking about come on but you know what
0: her name starts with P and rhymes with Pelosi.
1: Oh Yeah, I mean, but I'm not sure who Pelosi is because she came out in African wardrobe <laughs> along with their, all their <laughs> staff and they all knelt down and prayed, I imagine.
0: The problem but, with Monsoon is he doesn't really tell you what he's actually thinking and feeling. So maybe next time we'll get him to be a little more... But candid. you know
1: what I want to thank... Uh, what? Go ahead. No, I just want to... I want to thank you for this. I've seen her professional blogs. I've seen these... The, the articulate people that you've interviewed. I mean, they've all made sense to me just watching them. And, and basically, I just kind of rambled on. But, you know, it is, I'm a rambler. You know, sometimes you have cowboys that ramble and you have guys <laughs> that are educated. One word,
0: one word for you, Krusty. Um both. I'm... I'm glad that but we, I, I, but I'm glad I thank we got you,
1: to do the sip. I'm grateful that you opened your home for me, that you fed me, that you cooked, that you fixed the coffee, the crowning coke, took me fishing in the pond. I caught myself... A, a we don't thir- do
0: this for all of our guests. Yeah. You
1: know. I caught a 13-pound... Although we
0: should. We will, if you want to come
1: on. Two pounds out here, and I <laughs> threw the line in. I caught a 13-pound frog. I mean, that thing was... whoo. It was a big frog. All right, Chrissy. All right. <laughs> You know, I want to thank y'all. Some for five.
0: Hoorah. I got to cut him off. But really, thank you again so much for joining us. And really, every day is a great day to flex your freedom. Let's be sure to thank a veteran every time we see them. Those who serve honorably, I will say those who serve with honor because many do not, but most do. Yep. So, um,
1: I want to say welcome home and a hand salute. Hoorah.
0: Hoorah.